Hear the word of the Lord from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food, speaking of the manna from heaven. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many of them died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked up at the bronze snake, they lived. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Melanie and I were married in 1990, and after a few years, I started to experience a call to ministry. And I would say we started to experience a call because God calls us into ministry. And after many conversations and prayers, we decided to look at attending seminary here in Richmond at the Baptist Seminary. The BTSR is the acronym. Our extended family was not aware of any of these plans. We had not told them yet. We wanted to really flesh things out and visit before we talk to them about what God was doing. We decided to plan a trip to Virginia Beach and told our family that's where we were going. We had college friends there, so that would be a great way to go and visit them and then head on over to Richmond to tour the seminary and to see the, 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 the city and so forth. We could have driven about six hours up I-95 from Orangeburg, where we lived, to Richmond. But instead, we took the scenic route. We started out in Orangeburg, and then we drove up to Wilmington, North Carolina. From there, we went up to the uh, Cedar Island Ferry. Some of you know exactly where that is. And we got the ferry and took that to Ocracoke Island, stayed there a night, and then continued our journey, got on another ferry, went to Cape Hatteras and stayed there a night, and then we continued to drive up the beach highway to Nags Head and Kill, Kill, Kill Devil Hills and Kitty Hawk, and uh, stayed there and visited, and then made our way up farther and back over to the mainland into Virginia, and then on up through the Chesapeake area into Virginia Beach. We stayed at bed and breakfast along the way until we got to our friend's house. I think it took four days or so for us to make that trip. When God delivered the Israelites from 400 years of slavery and oppression in Egypt, their destination was the promised land of Canaan. 
the most direct route from Egypt to Canaan was along the coastal highway there, right along the Mediterranean. It was about 250 miles or so, and probably would have taken them about a month. But God took them along the scenic route. In our terms, they could have gone straight up I-95 to Canaan, but instead, God took them all the way around through the Outer Banks. What should have been about a year of learning or so along this scenic route, receiving the laws of God and learning how to behave in community and collaborate and, and fellowship together and work together, um, ended up taking 40 years, 40 long years because of the people's disobedience and their rebellion against God and Moses, they lingered there in the wilderness. God was not going to take them into the land of promise until they were ready, and they had shown that they were not ready. So God allowed them to endure 40 years of wilderness. Often they complained about the lack of water, the lack of food. They complained about everything. Several times they talked about how good the food used to be in Egypt. They kind of forgot about the fact that they were in bondage and making bricks without straw and all of the inhumane and unjust ways that the Egyptians treated them. They just remembered how the food was better. And they kind of formed what we would call a back to Egypt committee. We want to go back where we used to be. Forgetting about the bad stuff, just thinking about all the good stuff. Because of all this, God allowed them to wander in the wilderness. And many of the adults would never see the promised land. The main thing I want to point out to us today is that all of this took place within a covenant relationship that God initiated. Even though they disobeyed, even though they strayed, even though they complained, even though they wanted to form a back to Egypt committee to go back where they had come from. God still loved them. God was there with them. God nurtured them. God was doing what God does within this covenant relationship. They're all of these experiences were within a loving covenant initiated by a loving God at creation. The same covenant we've talked about with Noah, the same covenant we've talked about with Abram, Abraham and Sarai, Sarah, and the same covenant that God uh, in, continued to reaffirm in giving the Ten Commandments to Moses and the people, which we talked about last Sunday. But then you get into chapter 20 of the book of Numbers. And by the way, the book of Numbers is a chronicle of the people's experiences in the wilderness, probably... Uh, about 39 of those 40 years are chronicled here in the book of Numbers. And it's a, there's a census that we see, but there's a great story to the book, and I hope you'll take time to read through it. But in chapter 20, you see some really difficult things happen among the people, not only to them, but to the leadership, Moses and Aaron and so forth. I encourage you to go back and, and read chapter 20 as you reflect on today's passage. But in verse 1 of chapter 20, uh, they, the people stayed at a place called Kadesh, which means they were very close to Canaan. They were finally getting close. 
And then Moses' sister Miriam died. And then in verses 2 through 5, there was major complaining about the lack of water and food again. Sort of like an echo of of what we see in, in chapter 15. And then in verses 6 through 13, the people quarreled against Moses and Aaron. And finally, they had had enough. And they took matters into their own hands. God told Moses to take his staff and speak to the rock and water would come. Well, Moses took his staff, but instead of speaking to the rock, he struck it twice out of anger. And water came out of it, but that was disobedient and not the way that God desired for Moses to lead the people. And as you will see, neither Moses nor Aaron were able to to experience entrance into the land of Canaan with the people. They both died before that happened. And then in verses 14 through 21 of chapter 20, the king of Edom would not let the Israelites pass through that area on their way to Canaan. So the people continued to go round in circles. It's almost like an airplane is um, circling around above the airport, waiting on its turn to come to a landing. And then at the end of the chapter, verses 28 and 29, you see that Aaron, Moses' brother, the high priest, died right there in the wilderness. And the whole community entered into a 30-day period of grieving and mourning. A lot of bad stuff happened there. They were struggling. It was wilderness, raw wilderness. We can identify with that. We reflect on this past year. Of we've addressed this many times in our worship services, in prayers and in sermons, and even today in the litany of remembrance and hope that wilderness is rough. Wilderness is no place where we want to be. But yet God forms us and shapes us and helps us through his leadership and through his grace and mercy and love to uh, to to form us into people who are stronger, that we can emerge from our wilderness experiences, ready to face whatever it is that is next. But nothing seemed to be going right for them. One thing after the other in the wilderness. Take one step forward, and then they would take two steps back. Round and round they would go in the wilderness. And then we get to chapter 21. Again, the people speak out against God. They grew impatient on the way in verse 4b. They spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. We detest this miserable food. Complain, complain, complain. And then we see this story that seems very odd and strange to us, but that's what the scripture records. I don't exactly understand it, but I'm trying to proclaim that that's what the Lord did. He sent venomous snakes among the people, and some of the people got bit by these snakes. We might look back and say that was God's way of judgment, expressing his wrath. But that's what God did. God sent venomous snakes among the people, and some of them got bit, and many died. And then after this experience was happening, the people came to Moses and they confessed their sins. They acknowledged their wrongdoing. 
This is called repentance, where we express remorse for our sins and rebellion against God, and we beg for forgiveness. They begged that Moses would pray that God would take away the snakes. Moses, pray that God would take away the snakes. But what they really should have been praying was, God, please take away my sins. That's what led to that judgment after all. But what happens next surprised them. God didn't take away the serpents at all. God said, Moses, make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and lift it up. And every time the people look up at that snake, they will be healed if they're bitten. Wow. That's what happened in the story. And that's exactly what Jesus told Nicodemus when Jesus was sitting with him that night, hearing Nicodemus's questions about faith and what it means to be born again. A few things about Moses that are great here. For as far as the leader is concerned, he remained with them. He could have just left. He could have gotten frustrated and moved on. But Moses stayed with them during hard times, even when the people complained about him. And they came to him when there was a need. They fussed at him, but they knew he was their leader. And they came to him when there was a need. And he listened to their confession. And he talked to God on their behalf repeatedly. And Moses prayed for them instead of snapping back at them. He could have just fussed right back, but rather he prayed for them. And then Moses was obedient this time. He listened to what God said. I guess he learned a lesson from the experience when he struck the rock twice with his staff. This shows that, that Moses was humble and was obedient to God in his own way. And some thoughts about God here. Even though this story seems a little strange to us, it is a story about God after all, about God who led the people and had a promised land ahead. And when they made it through the wilderness, oh, it would be better than they could ever imagine. A land of milk and honey. Oh, could you just taste it? And in this situation, God provided a remedy for the snakes all they had to do was look up. That's it. All they had to do was look up. And they would be healed. And this pointed back to the passage in Exodus chapter 15, verses 23 through 26, where the people were disobedient then. And the Lord, through Moses, purified the water, made it clean to drink. It was no longer bitter, but good for drinking. And God got the glory, and God said in Exodus 15, 26, I am the Lord, your healer. And the Hebrew is Jehovah Rophe. I am the Lord, your healer. And what that means is that God provided the grace and the means for their healing. And God does the same thing today. Yes, I've seen a lot of people who have not gotten well from things. But as a pastor, I've also had the blessing to see people recover. I have, I've seen miracles happen in people and there are miracles around us if we look if we could just look and see them they are there thousands of years later God is still the same and Jesus was expressing this same love of God this healing nature of God to Nicodemus when he came to Jesus that night and Nicodemus was a Pharisee one schooled in all the laws of God he should have known all of this but he himself had questions 
and he came to Jesus that night. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform all the signs you're doing if they weren't from God. And then Jesus talked to him about being born again, and Nicodemus said, how can someone be born again when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb. And Jesus continues to explain to him this. And then Nicodemus said, how can this be? Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? And Jesus continued to have grace and teach Nicodemus and relate to him in conversation. And then maybe it went sort of like this. You're well-schooled in the laws, right, Nicodemus? Sure I am, Jesus. Do you believe that story about the snakes in the wilderness where God sent venomous snakes and people got bit, but then Moses made, you know, took the snake, bronze snake, put it on a pole and raised it up, and when the people looked up, at the bronze snake that they were healed? Do you believe that, Nicodemus? And surely Nicodemus would have said, absolutely, I believe that story. I believe it with all my heart. I, I've been taught that since I was a little boy. I believe every word of it. It's true. And then maybe Jesus said, well, Nicodemus, can you explain it? Can you explain how that healing took place? No. Quite frankly, Jesus, I can't explain it, but I believe it. But how something like that could be lifted up on a pole and then people look at it and believe. And I imagine that Jesus would have said something like, Nicodemus, it doesn't matter if we can explain how it works. What matters is that it works. We might not be able to explain that old story in the book of Numbers, but we know that it's true. What matters is that it works. What matters is that it is a matter of faith. And that's grace. Jesus said that the Son of Man will be lifted up. And I believe that this story in the ancient book of Numbers is a foreshadowing of Jesus being lifted up high on the cross, dying for our sins. The scripture says that he became sin, that we might be forgiven. That he gave his life as a sin offering, that we might be free. And that through trusting Jesus, just like John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the simplicity of this story. Faith in the one who was lifted up on the cross and then the one who would appear on the third day alive in his resurrected form and then the one who would ascend to the Father to be lifted up to the Father and pour out his spirit among us. This is, I believe, what that old story is pointing to as Jesus explains it to Nicodemus. And I hope that you feel comfortable approaching the throne of grace with this same confidence that Nicodemus could as a Pharisee come to this Jesus. I pray that you would have the confidence to come and say, I don't know all of it. I don't know the answers. I don't feel like I have a strong faith, but I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to know him more. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.16, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence 
that we would receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Mercy is the compassion and the forgiveness of God, basically what we need at that moment. And grace says that mercy is free. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let us pray.